Welcome to Inside the BACB, the official podcast of the Behavior Analyst Certification Board. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Inside the BACB. I'm Dr. Jim Carr, the organization's CEO, and with me today is Dr. Tyra Sellers, our Director of Ethics. Hi, everybody. As you may know, we recently published a new version of the RBT Ethics Code. This is version 2.0. So today, Tyra and I will briefly review the process involved in revising the code and talk about its revised standards. And our listeners should know that version 2.0 of the RBT Ethics Code goes into effect January 1st, 2022. Yep, and there's a crosswalk that should help folks navigate the changes and become more familiar with the updated version of the RBT Code. I'm super excited for us to review everything. Yeah, me too. Before we get started, I want to let our listeners know that this is another example of the BACB's longstanding process of periodically reviewing and revising our requirements. Yeah, and specific to the RBT Ethics Code, the history of changes goes a little bit like this. When the RBT credential began, RBTs were required to comply with a subset of 29 specific components, and those were highlighted in the Guidelines for Responsible Conduct for Behavior Analysts, and they were present in sections 1, 2, 4, 6, 7, 8, and 9. If you're looking for the specific sections, you can check out page 5 of the December 2013 BACB newsletter. So you have to get in the Wayback Machine and go all the way back to 2013. And then when the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts was disseminated in 2014, and that went into effect in 2016, in that code document, specific standards that applied to RBTs were indicated with a little red RBT next to that relevant standard item. Yeah, that's right. Then in December 2018, we published the first standalone RBT ethics code. And for this code, we basically took all the standards from the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code that were designated as relevant for RBTs, and we rewrote them to be a bit more understandable for that population. So that brings us to the newly revised code. So Tyra, will you please talk about why we revised it? Absolutely. So folks can remember that in 2019, the BACB worked to revise the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts that led to a much more elegantly named Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts. That was published in late 2019, and it goes into effect in 2022. Well, the project of revising the RBT Ethics Code was really driven by the need to make sure we were aligning the standards with that new Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts, ensuring that the standards in the RBT Ethics Code were appropriate for the types of work activity that RBTs typically perform. Okay, so what were the first few steps involved in the revision project? Well, we started, as always, by reviewing any relevant feedback that we had received prior to, you know, late 2020. So sort of as we get feedback from the profession, from folks in the field, sometimes that's via email, maybe at a conference, we hang on to that feedback. And then after we reviewed the feedback that we kind of had been hanging on to, we took a look at four codes of ethics from related professions, and we looked for similarities and differences in structure, scope, and ethics standards between those codes and the RBT code. We also did a close comparison between the RBT ethics code and then the newly published ethics code for behavior analysts, really to identify any instances where changes to standards would result in BCBAs and BCABAs being held to a lesser standard than RBTs because 
that's not going to work. So an example is that changes to the ethics code for behavior analysts gift exchange standard would allow gift exchanges under certain circumstances for BCABAs and BCBAs, but the current RBT code strictly prohibits accepting gifts. All right, so you reviewed feedback that we had been collecting over the years, reviewed other codes, and did a comparison with the ethics code for behavior analysts. That all makes sense. Uh, but you also gathered input from RBTs and supervisors, right? You bet we did. Feedback from the profession is really critical when we're carrying out these revision processes. So we sent out an anonymous survey to RBTs and then another one to RBT supervisors in December 2020. We got back just over 6,000 responses, which is a really good response rate from active RBTs, and we got about 1,700 from supervisors. Obviously, the specific feedback varied widely across and within sections related to the RBT code, but there were some common themes that emerged. So, for example, supervisors and RBTs pretty consistently indicated, you know, that many standards didn't seem well matched to the types of work activities typically carried out by RBTs. Some of the specific things that were called out included activities like RBTs obtaining consent for videotaping clients in session or selecting data collection procedures, displaying data appropriately. So in the survey responses, many RBTs and supervisors also pointed out that the gift-giving standard was an important area for improvement. Wow, almost 8,000 survey responses. You know, I think we also got a lot of great survey feedback when we were developing the Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts. You know, conducting these kinds of surveys, it's a bit of a partnership. We can put out as many surveys as we want, but they're irrelevant if no one completes them. So I just want to take this opportunity to thank our certificates who have provided us feedback in these recent surveys, and there are definitely more to come. So after the survey data had been analyzed, this is when you brought in subject matter experts, right? Yeah, great segue. We were incredibly lucky to receive the input from a total of 13 subject matter experts. You know, quick shout out to all the folks who volunteer their time and intellectual capital as SMEs for various projects for the BACD over the past years and for many, many more years to come. Uh, that support is incredible and we really benefit so much from their feedback and perspective. Yeah, agreed. You know, uh, we work with some amazing SMEs and in some years we work with almost 200. Dang. Well, we didn't have that many on this project. We just had 13, but we really worked hard to gather a diverse group of folks, including RBTs, folks who routinely train and supervise RBTs. So specifically, we had four RBTs. One of them subsequently took and passed the exam and is now a BCBA. So congratulations to that SME and eight BCBAs. So to kind of take them through this work group process, we held several small work groups with different combinations of SMEs to gather initial feedback and to suggest revisions. And we have these meetings at multiple times during the revision process. Then, of course, the drafted document went through several rounds of internal reviews and a bunch of revisions. And then finally to the BACB board of directors for them to consider for approval. And they did approve it. Yay! So I think when uh, folks uh, read the new code, the first thing that they're going to notice is that it has a structured introduction section. And this mirrored what we did in the Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts. And I think it provides some important antecedent guidance on the code. 
Yeah, I think that's spot on, Jim. It references those four guiding principles that appear and have some subsequent bullets in the ethics code for behavior analysts. And it really makes it clear that RBTs are not alone in learning about and applying their ethics standards. They need to do that in partnership with their supervisors. The language in the introduction section establishes the expectation that BACB required supervisors have to be familiar with the RBT Ethics Code 2.0 and that they have a duty to support RBTs in learning about and applying the standards. The introduction also clarifies that RBTs need to be familiar with the ethics code for behavior analysts, and there are two reasons for that. I know it's a big ask, but, you know, BCBAs and BCABAs have specific ethics requirements to those whom they supervise, meaning RBTs. So RBTs need to know what they should be expecting from their own supervisors and that they have the protection of those code standards if a supervisor is violating them. The second reason is that RBT are in a position to know if a BCBA or a BCABA is violating a standard from the ethics code for behavior analysts, even not related to supervisory practices. And those RBTs have a duty to take steps to address a suspected or actual violation. So they kind of need to know about that code. Yeah, that's a really good point. So the introduction section, uh, it also includes some language that's contained in standards of the current RBT ethics code, right? Yeah, exactly. So I'll clarify that a little in case that's a little confusing to people, but standards 1.01, 1.02, 1.05, and 1.13 from the current RBT ethics code are all represented in the introduction section of the new 2.0 code version. And we did that in the ethics code for behavior analysts as well. So these standards are sort of aspirational or they focus on processes like addressing violations or conflicts. So they're better represented in the introduction section. In addition to those four standards that I just named that were kind of moved and incorporated into the introduction section, we also removed 2.06, 3.06, and 3.08 of the current RBT code as separate standalone standards. However, the general expectations of those standards are covered in other standards that appear in the 2.0 version of the code. So folks can check out the crosswalk for more information to find out exactly where the expectations related to those three standards, where they live in the new 2.0 version. All right. Well, next, readers will find the three sections containing the actual ethics standards. I know the current RBT ethics code has uh, 31 standards across three sections. How does the new version stack up? The 2.0 version is pretty similar in terms of total number of standards. We ended up having 29 ethics standards. So the standards were reorganized so that they appear from kind of broad to more specific, which is also very similar to the structure in the ethics code for behavior analysts. The section names have also changed. So how about if we go through each section, Jim? Let's do it. So I know that there were also several new standards added, but let's cover those in their respective sections. So in the RBT Ethics Code 2.0, section one is titled General Responsibilities and contains 12 standards describing RBT's responsibilities related to professional conduct in a helping profession. Yeah, the new section one really has a lot of the same content as section one in the current RBT code and a few things in there from section three. Also, as we already mentioned, some things were moved into the introduction section. 
All right. So the first standard in section one is 1.01, and it reads, RBTs are honest and work to support an environment that promotes truthful behavior in others. They do not lead others to engage in fraudulent, illegal, or unethical behavior. They follow the law and the requirements of their professional community, for example, the BACB, an employer or supervisor. Yep. This standard is really similar to 1.03 of the current code. The slight difference is that the language in the current code says, and create an environment. We really hope that RBTs are active participants and collaborators in developing an ethical work culture, but their primary role is more supportive in nature. So the new language really kind of captures that aspect of their role. It's also related to the current 1.04 in terms of requiring compliance with the law and with the professional community, like the BACB or their employer. So how about if we take turns reading the code standards? I'll read the next standard and then you can talk a little bit about it. Sounds good. Standard 1.02 reads, RBTs conduct themselves in a professional manner, are accountable for their actions, and make an effort to follow through on work and contractual commitments. When commitments cannot be met, RBTs work with their supervisors to address the situation in the best interest of clients. So this standard is related to 1.09 in the current code, but as you described for 1.01, it's been reworded to better align with the role of an RBT. So that refocusing, it's a common theme throughout the revised code. Yeah, the review process really highlighted for us that some standards just weren't really well matched to the typical expectations and work activities for RBTs. Right. All right, so standard 1.03 reads, RBTs only provide services under their RBT certification within a clearly defined role under close ongoing supervision. So this standard's a combination of 3.01 and 3.05 without much change. Yeah, you're right. Really not much changed with that language. And I think it's pretty clear. Okay, so 1.04 is the next standard and it's brand new. And 1.04 reads, RBTs are never employers of their supervisor. RBTs who are also trainees, in other words, those accruing supervised field work toward a future BCBA or BCABA certification application, may separately contract for those supervision services. The purpose of 1.04 is really to clarify that RBTs should not be the direct employers of their supervisor for their RBT activities, as this creates a really tricky multiple relationship with pretty problematic conflicts of interests. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, and that's an important clarification. But 1.04 makes it clear that RBTs, who are also trainees collecting their fieldwork hours, may contract with a BCBA to provide supervision services because we recognize that the context in which folks operate are varied and often complex. So next is 1.05, and that standard reads, RBTs do not knowingly make false, misleading, or exaggerated statements about their qualifications or behavior technician services. They provide a current and accurate set of relevant credentials to employers and supervisors upon request. This is, I think, a combination of the current 1.10 and 1.11 and there's not much else that change, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Pretty much the same expectations. Don't say that you could do something that you can't do and don't misrepresent yourself as something or someone that you are not. The one change is that the word client has been omitted from the language, really because it seems more appropriate that requests to look at an RBT's credential should be directed through their supervisor or employer. 
Agreed. All right, well, moving on to 1.06, it reads, RBTs provide behavior technician services only after their supervisor confirms that they have demonstrated competence. They work with their supervisor to continually evaluate their competence. If an RBT identifies that they are being asked to do something that goes beyond the scope of their certification and or competence, they immediately inform their supervisor or other appropriate individuals at their place of employment and document this communication. This one is most directly related to 3.03, but also 3.02 in the current RBT code. Basically, you know, the language just provides more specificity around continual requirements related to identifying competence and, you know, sort of some guidance for what to do if a supervisor maybe pushes an RBT outside of their scope of competence. It also places the burden of ensuring that something is within the RBT's scope of competence on the supervisor, as that seems to be the right person who should ultimately evaluate an RBT's abilities. That is the truth. Well, that gets us to the next newly added standard, 1.07, which reads, RBTs work directly with their supervisor to ensure that they are culturally responsive in their work. They actively work to evaluate their own biases and ability to work with individuals with diverse needs and backgrounds. For example, age, disability, ethnicity, gender expression and identity, immigration status, marital relationship status, national origin, race, religion, sexual orientation, and socioeconomic status. And they obtain any needed training in these areas under the direction of their supervisor. So this was added in response to the profession's growing need to ensure that practitioners are being culturally responsive and that they continually self-evaluate their biases. 100% correct, Jim. You know, 1.07 in RBT Ethics Code 2.0 is aligned directly with 1.07 cultural responsiveness and diversity and 4.07 incorporating and addressing diversity in the ethics code for behavior analysts. Um, now, that actually just happened accidentally that 1.07 in the RBT Ethics Code 2.0 and 1.07 in the Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts both ended up being about cultural responsiveness uh, and diversity. But I think that's pretty cool that they aligned so perfectly. Indeed. All right. Well, next is 1.08. And that reads, RBTs do not harass or discriminate against others, for example, clients or coworkers. They behave towards others in an equitable and inclusive manner, regardless of age, disability, ethnicity, gender expression or identity, immigration status, marital or relationship status, national origin, race, religion, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, or any other basis prescribed by law. This is basically the current 2.03, but updated with that more inclusive list of groups and characteristics that are in line with the Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts and the standard that you just read, Jim. All right, well, 1.09 is the next standard and it reads, RBTs are aware that their personal biases or challenges, for example, mental or physical health conditions, legal, financial, marital relationship challenges, may impact their ability to effectively carry out their behavior technician services. If their biases or challenges may impact services, they take steps to resolve the issue, for example, developing an action or care plan, reporting their supervisor, refraining from working with clients until the issue is resolved, reporting to the BACB, and they document these actions. 
Now, the language in this standard is a revised version of 1.08 and the current RBT code, but just with more clarification and direction, right? Yeah, that's right. The language really is meant to place a more appropriate level of expectation on RBTs and to provide some guidance on steps to take. There are a few instances where the code directs RBTs to document their actions. And I just want to clarify, really, that depends on the situation. But often that's going to mean taking notes, archiving emails, you know, drafting sort of a summary of a conversation that took place with dates and names and things like that. So just a little bit of guidance for folks listening there. Okay, that brings us to standard 1.10, and that standard reads, RBTs avoid multiple relationships with clients, coworkers, and supervisors. Multiple relationships occur when there is a mixing of two or more relationships, for example, friend, family member, employee, employer, that may result in conflicts of interest and risk of harm to the client. If RBTs find that a multiple relationship has developed, they immediately inform their supervisor, work to resolve it, and document these actions. If the multiple relationship involves their supervisor, RBTs should report it to their supervisor's manager or other appropriate entity, for example, Human Resources, the BACB, and document this communication. This one really is just a clarification of current 1.06. All right, well, 1.11 is next, and it is also a clarification of current 2.04 to update it and to align it with the related gift exchange standard in the ethics code for behavior analysts. So 1.11 reads, because the exchange of gifts can lead to conflicts of interest in multiple relationships, RBTs do not give gifts to or accept gifts from clients, stakeholders, or supervisors with a monetary value of more than 10 US dollars or the equivalent purchasing power in another currency. A gift is acceptable if it functions as an occasional expression of gratitude and does not result in a financial benefit to the recipient. Instances of giving or accepting ongoing or cumulative gifts may rise to the level of a violation of this standard if the gifts become a regularly expected source of income or value to the recipient. If an employer has a stricter policy regarding gift exchange, for example, prohibiting gift exchange, RBTs follow that policy. All right, so the big difference between 1.11 and the RBT Ethics Code 2.0 and 1.12, giving and receiving gifts in the Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts, is that additional sentence at the end. Uh, and this was added to clarify that the code standards are the threshold or minimum requirements so that if a supervisor or employer had a stricter requirement around gift exchange, RBTs would need to comply with that higher standard. Yeah, you're absolutely correct about that point. In fact, that's even true of the standards in the ethics code for behavior analysts, despite the fact that that last sentence doesn't appear. If there's another relevant entity like a licensure board or an employer and they have requirements that are higher than those requirements set forth in a code standard, the individual needs to comply with whatever that higher standard is, which would naturally also comply with the minimum standards in the code. All right, well, standard 1.12 is next and reads, RBTs do not engage in romantic or sexual relationships with current clients stakeholders or supervisors. They do not engage in romantic or sexual relationships with former clients or stakeholders for a minimum of two years from the date the professional relationship ended. 
They do not engage in romantic or sexual relationships with former supervisors until the parties can document that the professional relationship has ended. In other words, completion of all professional duties. They do not receive supervision from individuals with whom they have had a past romantic or sexual relationship until at least six months after the relationship has ended. All right, so this standard relates to the current 1.07 and brings the requirements into alignment with the correlated standard in the Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts. Listeners should note that there is additional language at the end that's specific to RBT's relationships with their supervisors. All right, well, we made it through Section 1, General Responsibilities. Now, Section 2 is titled Responsibilities in Providing Behavior Technician Services. And this section includes 10 standards that are specific to requirements related to providing those services. So I'll get us started with 2.01, which reads, RBTs do no harm and work to support the best interest of their clients. They are knowledgeable about and comply with mandated reporting requirements. So this standard relates to 2.01 of the current RBT code. And yes, once again, they have the exact same number. The requirements are pretty much the same, but I think the new language is a bit clearer. Yeah, I agree. The new 2.01 includes the requirement that RBTs need to be aware of and follow mandated reporting requirements specific to their state. Now, I get it. RBTs probably aren't going to just know that. So that training is likely to be provided as part of an RBT's onboarding at a provider organization. So again, that sort of highlights that shared burden between the RBT and their supervisor or those in positions above them. All right, well, 2.02 is the next standard and reads, RBTs follow the direction of their supervisors, accurately implement behavior technician services, and accurately complete all required documentation, for example, client data, billing records. This is linked to current 2.10 and 3.07, and also 1.06, as I mentioned previously. So basically, it's been refocused to require that RBTs carry out services outlined by their supervisors and that they do so accurately. It also applies not only to direct service activities, but also other activities like data collection, billing, and any other kind of documentation activities like creating session notes or what have you. Yeah, that's a great clarification. All right, so 2.03 reads, RBTs conduct themselves in a professional manner during all work activities, for example, delivering services, receiving training or supervision. They take action to improve their performance following feedback from supervisors. This one is new and, and simply makes it clear that RBTs must behave in a professional manner. And I really like the new requirement that RBTs actively use the feedback they receive to improve their performance. And obviously, this is linked to standards in Section 4, responsibility to supervisees and trainees in the Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts. This section requires that supervisors provide high-quality feedback to their supervisees. Yeah, I don't think that we can underscore enough how critical the RBT position is and that it is a professional position. So I also really like 2.03 sort of highlighting that, you know, they need to behave in a professional manner because they're in a professional position. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think it's also important to, to realize that, you know, people need to be taught how to receive feedback. 
This should be done at the beginning of, of any kind of formal training, RBT training, graduate school for BCBA or BCABA, because if individuals don't receive feedback well, or if they're engaging in verbal behavior that's incompatible with that feedback, your feedback's not likely to be very successful. And just as an aside, uh, these skills and, and obligations for teaching people how to receive feedback, uh, they're outlined in the Supervision Curriculum 2.0 document. Yeah, that's right. There's a nice list of specific skill components related to effective and appropriate feedback reception. So I love that point. Um, okay, well, then that takes us to 2.0. RBTs do not use unfamiliar interventions or provide services to unfamiliar client populations unless they have received proper training. This is a clarification of the language that's in 3.04 of the current code, and really it's related to scope of competence. It's pretty straightforward. Yep, sure is. So the next standard is 2.05, and it's new, and it reads, RBTs implement restrictive or punishment-based procedures only when included in a documented behavior change plan and after their supervisor has verified their competence. So this standard makes it very clear that RBTs cannot make independent decisions about implementing restrictive or punishment-based procedures. If such procedures are written into a plan, RBTs must have demonstrated competence before ever implementing them with a client. Now, this addition was in response to the data collected in the ethics department around violations, right? Yeah, unfortunately, there have been a good number of alleged violations around RBTs implementing restrictive or punishment-based procedures without the proper direction from a supervisor. So it was in response to sort of the data that we have in our department. The next standard is also new. It's 2.06 and it reads, RBTs direct any questions or concerns that they or others, for example, caregivers, coworkers, have about their behavior technician services to their supervisor. This standard was added based on significant survey feedback and recommendations from several of the SMEs. Basically, it requires that RBTs actively address their questions specifically and directly to their supervisor, which makes sense. It also clarifies and requires that RBTs route questions from caregivers or others to their supervisor as opposed to answering them themselves. Now, obviously, there are plenty of questions that an RBT can answer, but when it comes to questions about things like programming, assessments, service dosages, things like that, RBTs really should be passing those questions along to their supervisor, as well as directing the question asker to present those questions to the supervisor. Yeah, that's a great addition that hopefully will help minimize confusion or, or misinformation being passed along. All right, so next up is 2.07, which reads, RBTs take necessary actions to protect clients when they become aware that a client's legal rights are being violated or that there is risk of harm to a client. In these instances, RBTs report the matter to their supervisor, follow organization policies, and document these actions. In some instances, RBTs may need to contact relevant authorities, for example, law enforcement, the BACB, a licensure board. Now, this relates to 2.02 and the current RBT code, and it's pretty similar and, and I think straightforward. Agreed. So I will move on to standard 2.0, which is about confidentiality. And there are a few that are about confidentiality. This one, 2.08, reads, RBTs protect the confidentiality and privacy of their clients, stakeholders, and others in the workplace by following all related requirements established by the BACB employers and the law 
for example, privacy laws, licensure requirements. RBTs maintain confidentiality when interacting with client information and records. This standard is related to a few in the current code, 2.07, 2.08, and 2.10. And basically, RBTs have to follow the requirements that are in place around confidentiality and any training on confidentiality requirements should be provided by their employers and their supervisors. Right. And 2.09 is also about confidentiality, but it's a bit more specific. So it reads, RBTs do not share identifying information, for example, photos, videos, written information about clients on social media or websites. This standard is related to 2.5 in the current RBT code, but the language is clear that RBTs should not share identifying information about clients on social media or websites. If any allowable client information is going to be shared on media platforms, an RBT is not the appropriate person to do so in a company or provider organization. 100% about that one. And 2.09 is a good example of a standard that really has been revised to better protect RBTs and consumers. So we're on a theme here. 2.10 is also about confidentiality. It reads, RBTs only discuss confidential client information under the direction of their supervisor unless allowed by law for a valid reason. For example, protecting the client or others from harm. RBTs only share necessary client information in their job-related communications, for example, emails and documentation. 2.10 is most closely related to 2.09 in the current code, but it also has a little flavor from 2.07 and 2.08. The new 2.10 really clarifies RBTs should only be talking about confidential client information after having received direction to do so from their supervisor. So they shouldn't take it upon themselves to share information. For example, if there are other treatment professionals involved in the service delivery, an RBT shouldn't just discuss confidential information with those professionals without having been asked to do so from their supervisor. Of course, there are some legal reasons that an RBT might need to disclose confidential information without first getting direction from their supervisor. And those are mostly centered around taking action to protect the client or others from immediate and likely harm. That last part of 2.10 also makes it clear that RBTs only share relevant client details if they're communicating about a client within their job duties. This is really to protect the RBT and the client in instances where someone might sort of press the RBT for other information that isn't really related to the specific purpose of that communication. All right, well, that ends the review of section two. So let's move on to the final section three, responsibilities to the BACB and BACB required supervisor. So there are seven standards in this section that describe RBT's responsibility to the BACB and their BACB required supervisor. Now, many of these standards appear in the brief introduction or preamble of the current code, right? Yep, we really took the language that was contained in the current introductory section and created standards 1.0 through 1.05 as standalone standards in the new 2.0 version of the code. I don't really think that we need to read each of these since the language and requirements are pretty similar to what's in the current code. Basically, you know, it covers things like comply with requirements from the BACB, don't cheat, don't help others cheat, don't disseminate exam content, self-report information if needed to the BACB. 
There is one thing that I'd like to point out though, and that is about 3.02. It requires that RBTs correct any issues with documentation or information that they submitted to the BACB or to their supervisor or employer. Also, 3.05 is related to the current 1.12, and it basically says don't misuse anyone's intellectual property, like the BACB certification titles, exam questions, employers' proprietary materials, like training documents or handbooks. Okay, well then let's review 3.06 then, because it is a new standard. Uh, it reads, RBTs named in a notice of alleged violation or who receive required actions from the BACB, for example, an educational memorandum, notice of RBT required action, disciplinary or appeal determination, notice of summary suspension or revocation. They immediately share the report with their supervisor and work collaboratively to respond to any correspondence and comply with all requirements from the BACB. This standard lets RBTs know that if they are named in a notice or have some other required action from the BACB, they need to let their supervisor know about it and they need to work with the supervisor to address any needed actions and respond back to the BACB, comply with any tasks assigned or requests. For example, you know they may need to provide documentation that they receive training on a specific topic. Yeah, actually, Jim, that one's really important because the supervisor is going to be in a better position to know about supports available from the BACB in terms of how to respond or self-report. That supervisor is going to be able to help gather material that the RBT might need to put together and submit to the BACB. So that one is really, really important. And it also kind of reiterates that shared responsibility between the supervisor and the RBT that is throughout this code version. All right, well, the last standard in the RBT Ethics Code 2.0 is 3.07, and it reads, RBTs regularly, for example, monthly, check their BACB account to ensure information, for example, name, email address, mailing address is accurate. Within 24 hours of becoming aware of a change of their certification status, for example, inactive, expired, suspended, revoked, RBTs report the change to their supervisor and subsequently comply with applicable BACB requirements related to practice billing and use of the RBT title. This one is important and it was added to make it clear that RBTs should be the ones creating and managing their own BACB account, not someone else. Also, because an RBT's status might change pretty quickly, they need to make sure that they're checking and letting their supervisor know if there is a change to their status. Um, and you know, that's really important because that can impact billing. You know, some changes in statuses for RBTs would prevent an RBT from being able to represent themselves as an RBT. It might prevent them from providing services that require an RBT active status, as well as billing for those services. So that's really important to keep an eye on your account, your information, and make sure it's all up to date. Yeah, that is a very good point. And my guess is there are a number of listeners here who are supervisors or business owners will be very interested in this requirement. Well, I think that covers all of the standards. Uh, now, the last part of the RBT Ethics Code 2.0 is the glossary. It's got 10 terms in it. Uh, nine of them also appear in the Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts, and some have been added to make sure that they are relevant to RBTs. 
Yeah, that's right. We pretty much used the same um, terms and definitions, but made sure again that they were relevant to the activities that RBTs engage in. And we did add one new definition, and that is for the term behavior technician services, because it appears in the RBT Ethics Code 2.0. And that definition reads, services provided under the direction of a BACB required supervisor that are explicitly based on the principles and procedures of behavior analysis and are designed to change behavior in a meaningful way. These services include, but are not limited to, implementing behavior change interventions and assisting with assessments and training. We needed to kind of define this term because it's used throughout the code uh, to refer specifically to work activities of RBTs. Right. Well, that brings us to the end of our discussion about the RBT Ethics Code 2.0. Attire, thanks for reviewing the process and some of the big changes with me. My pleasure. I really hope that this episode and the newsletter article and that crosswalk document help folks become more familiar with the RBT Ethics Code version 2.0 in preparation for its January 1st, 2022 implementation date. Also, just take the opportunity for one really big thank you to all of the RBT supervisors, all of the RBTs, and all of the SMEs who took time out of their busy schedules to complete the surveys and help us out on this project. So thank you so much. Indeed. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Inside the BACB. Don't miss future episodes. Subscribe now.